Amen. You guys are an amazing church. You guys are a united church. You guys are a courageous church. You guys are a resilient church. You guys are a generous church. And you guys are a church that loves Jesus. If you would say amen. And you guys are such a joy to have in our lives. And we are so excited as we go into a new year of 2023 because our theme this current year is all for one name. It's the idea that you and I, whether you consider yourself a Christian right now or not, the fact is you were made to live all for one name. His name is Jesus. Just as Jesus gave his all for us when he died on the cross for our sins to bring us back to God, you and I were made to give our all to Jesus because that's where the peace is. That's where the blessing is. That's where the hope is. How does that look like practically? How do you live all for one name when we make mistakes, when we mess up from time to time, when we don't know, always know what the best thing is to do? That's what we're talking about in this theme all for one name and we're doing that with the help of a book in the old testament called second samuel and if you have your bibles you can turn to second samuel chapter 22 today in the old testament first half of your bible and uh, we're not just doing this on sundays but we're actually doing this every day i wouldn't say every day and you can join the hundreds of us here at Thrive Church who every day I'll send you an email with a passage from the book of Second Samuel. If you're not really sure what to learn from it, I'll share with you some thoughts and even a prayer that you can pray together. And so doing, we're walking through the Bible together, learn to live all for one name. And if you haven't gotten in on it yet, it's really easy. Go to mythrod.info, subscribe for Pastor JB's Game Time Sharing. We'd love to help you with that as well. Well, hey, Pastor Nick Osborne from Lighthouse Church in Steveson is a dear friend of ours here at Thrive. And, uh, you know, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I was hanging out with Pastor Nick because we do that from time to time. Uh, we went for coffee, uh, which means, because I don't drink coffee, it basically means I'm watching Pastor Nick drink coffee. Uh, and then after the coffee, we went for a walk and it was kind of near Gary Point in Steveson. And man, it was cold. And I don't like being cold. I was freezing that day. I had a jacket on, but I was like, oh man, I should have brought a scarf. I should have brought a toque. And I'm looking at Pastor Nick and it's like, he's got this full beard covering his neck. He's got a toque on his head. I said to him, hey, Nick, like with that kind of beard, you don't need a scarf, do you? He's like, no, I don't. I'm good as I am. I'm like, oh man, I wish I had a beard like that right now. But see, it's not just his beard that I sometimes envy, but it's his wisdom. It's his heart for God. It's his heart for people. And every time passionate comes to bring the message to us, we're always incredibly blessed. If you believe that, say amen. And so with that in mind, would you please join me in welcoming Pastor Nick Osborne from Lighthouse Church in Steveson bringing the message to us today in our own high-tech way. He's going to be here. And so let's give it up for God. Let's give it up Pastor Nick. And let's get into the message together right now. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor JB, for that kind introduction. Uh, Thrive Church, it is a pleasure to be with you here this morning as we continue through the theme of all for one name. We are made to live for the glory of one name, Jesus Christ. And, and what does that look like in Scripture? How do we apply that in our lives today? And so I want to begin today's message with a question, something for you to ponder, uh, and that is, which person in the Bible do you most identify with? Like we think of Bible characters and we often think of the people we want to be like, the character traits we want to emulate. We think of people like David, like Peter, like Mary. But sometimes we don't think about the character traits we may have that other Bible characters also have. We, we rarely say, well, I'm kind of like Cain or I'm kind of like Lot's wife or I'm kind of like Judas. 
Today, as we continue on on this series, we're into the uh, last chapters of 2 Samuel. And I want to read these verses from 2 Samuel 22. This is David's song of praise that he gives near the very end of his life. And listen to these words. Listen to the faith. And we say, yes, that's what I want. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter uh, chapter 22 Verses 2 to 4. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. We hear that and we say, yes, that is the faith that I want. And we also hear that and sometimes we feel like, oh man, that is not the faith that I have. We want the faith, but we recognize we don't have the faith. And so today, what I want to do is we're actually going to do a flashback in David's life. So this is David at the end of his life, full of faith, full of courage. But we're going to flash back to a story found in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. And we're going to look at this story because we are going to see that the faith that David had, it is something that God had to build up in his life from the starting place. And we may be able to better identify with the David that we're going to read about here. But if you and I do identify with the young David, you know that you can also identify with the old David. As we live our life for the glory of Jesus Christ, God will build us into men and women of faith. And so in this story, 1 Samuel 21 and 22, we're also going to ask, we're going to be introduced to four different characters in the story. And we're going to look at um, these characteristics and see what might be in our life as well. What can I learn from these characters to ensure that I live for the glory of Jesus alone? So as our story opens in 1 Samuel 21, you may remember this from earlier messages, uh, David is on the run. He is living the life of a fugitive. And later on in uh, his life, he's going to build around him a band of followers. But at this point where we start our story, David is all alone. He has no food. He has no weapon. Often when we think of uh, the life of David, we think more like the David at the end of his life. The man of faith. The King David. But we forget that he had a long and low valley of life through which he had to walk. Like David did not live a fairy tale life. In fact, none of us go through life uh, without valleys. Whether we want to build a marriage or raise children or we want to succeed in our careers, valleys are a normal part of life. And the test of faith is not whether we have troubles or not, because we all have troubles in our life. The test of faith is, what do we do with our troubles? And so we're going to ask ourselves a question, well, what did David do in this long, 
low valley near the beginning of his life. So let's start verses 1 and 2, 1 Samuel 21. It says, David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission, but he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. So, on the plus side, David is in trouble, and he's in these very uncertain circumstances, and right away we see that David goes to the right place. He goes to the house of the Lord. And we can ask ourselves, well, where do I go? Like, when I am in my troubles, where am I going Am I going to look for answers on Google? Am I going to uh, look for answers through money? Am I going to look for answers somewhere else? Or am I going to the Lord with my troubles? Where do you go when your troubles hit your life? So he's in Nob. Nob, interesting name. It's known as the city of priests. Nob is the successor to Shiloh after Shiloh's destruction. Ahimelech, the priest, he's actually the grandson of Eli, And when David shows up, scripture says that Ahimelech is afraid. He knows something is wrong because David has shown up all alone. David's a captain of a guard. He would never show up alone. He would never be without a weapon. It's not normal. And he probably looks very uh, weary and disheveled at the same time. So Ahimelech asked David, why are you alone? And David who has run to the house of the Lord for help, he responds with a lie. He says, the king has ordered me on some business. So yes, David came to the house of the Lord, but he lied to protect himself. And then he elaborated on his lie when he put false words in the mouth of Saul, where he said said, um, that the king said, don't let anyone know about the business on which I send you. And he talked about his young men with him, even though he was all alone. Now, perhaps, perhaps we can understand, we can sympathize with David. We can understand why he might lie. In fact, many of us may have done the same thing or worse in a similar situation. But here's the thing. Later, as we're going to see, David would come to bitterly regret this lie. One author said it this way, this lie that he tells now is going to make his soul melt with sadness. This is not the man full of faith that we meet in 2 Samuel 22. So what happens next? Verses 3 to 6. David says, now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us, as always, when I go to battle. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for there was no bread except the bread of the presence. So David has asked for food. But the only food there at the house of the Lord is the holy bread. Now, according to the law of Moses, this holy bread was a symbol of God's continual friendship with and hospitality toward Israel. So it was meant to be eaten by the priests 
in, the, in, in God's house as a guest of the Lord. Because in this culture, to eat together with another person formed a sacred bond of friendship. And so this bread was part of that to say, God saying, I am forming this sacred bond of friendship with you. And so the priests eating the bread in the house of God symbolize this. The bread was sacred. Yet after determining that, that David and his supposed soldiers were ceremonially clean, Ahimelech gives David the sacred food. Now, why would he do that? David wasn't a priest. He wasn't going to eat it in the house of the Lord. So why would Ahimelech give him this sacred bread? Because Ahimelech rightly understood that human need is more important than Levitical observance. In fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus refers to this story. And he refers to it to illustrate how important it is to not become captive to the letter of the law and miss the intention of the law. This bread is a symbol of God's hospitality and friendship. And a hospitable host would give food to a friend in desperate need. And so Ahimelech understood that he was following the intent of God's law by giving this bread to David. And then we meet our next character in this story, Doeg. This is verse 7. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. And so in the middle of this interaction between David and Ahimelech about food and about weapons, the writer of Samuel inserts this, this ominous side reference about some previously unknown figure. He mentions Doeg, this Edomite, this chief herdsman for King Saul. And he's there performing some kind of religious requirement. But as soon as he's mentioned, we get this sense of foreboding. Like, he, this is a good literary uh, writer, that this, this, the, the author here. Because Doeg is only mentioned four times. But his role in this story is tragic. And so, so there's this ominous note coming into this story. There's a guy there. His name's Doeg. Pay attention to him. Foreshadow. We'll come back to him in a moment. Verses 8 and 9. David says to Ahimelech, do you have a spear or sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said, give it to me. So David now is continuing his lie to ask for weapons because he's not on the king's mission. In fact, he's doing everything he can to avoid the king's mission because the king's mission is to kill David. Ahimelech gives him Goliath's sword. And here's the irony. David won this sword. David was the one who slew Goliath. But he didn't win the sword with lies, and he didn't win the sword 
with half-truths. He did it with a bold trust in God. A trust that believed God. A trust that, that trusted God to sort out all the consequences. David can have the sword of Goliath in his arsenal. But as one author said, he would be better equipped if he had the faith that killed Goliath. This is so different from the David in 2 Samuel 22. The David reflecting back on his life. He is here and he is trying to achieve what he wants through lies and half-truths. He has lost a sense of faith, the faith that he had that killed Goliath, the faith that he had at the end of his life, but in the middle of his troubles, he is struggling for faith. And so if you too struggle for faith at, in times of trouble, guess what? You're just like David. And David was a pretty awesome guy. Now we know that David didn't simply ask for food and weapons. We find out later that he also asked Ahimelech to inquire of the Lord for him. And so we see some mixed motives going on here. Like in time of trouble, David sought God's perspective. David went to the house of the Lord, but he also lost confidence in God and in the fulfillment of God's purpose for his life, which had been revealed to him. If at times your faith struggles, it is okay. God can still make us into men and women of strong faith like David. Because in our life, just like in David's life, there is at times a mixture of faith and fear within us. Each one is competing to guide our actions. And sometimes we let the fear guide our actions like David is doing in this story. And sometimes we let the faith guide our actions like David did with Goliath and like he does at the end of his life. And as we walk with God, as we live for the glory of one name, I know that as we grow in the Lord, more and more times faith guides our actions and less and less times fear does. But they're always at war within us, and it's okay. But despite all of these mixed motives, let's take note that David came to the house of the Lord without food, without weapon, and he left with both. God still provided for him. We don't need to be perfect in order to seek the Lord. We simply need to seek him. That is what makes us a person after God's heart. Just like David was called a person after God's heart. Not the perfection of every choice, but the desire to seek the Lord. That is what we want to grow in us. The desire to seek the Lord. And then you are a man and a woman after God's own heart. So now we're going to jump into 1 Samuel 22, verses 7 and 8. David has, has fled from Nob. He eventually ends up in the forest of Hereth in Judah. Now he has 400 others with him, and soon he is discovered by King Saul. And so Saul discovers where David is and begins to stir up his servants. And he says, starting in verse 7, Listen, men of Benjamin, 
Is Jesse's son going to give you uh, the fields and vineyards? Do you think he'll make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? That's why all of you have conspired against me. Nobody tells me when even my own son makes a covenant with Jesse's son. None of you care about me. None of you tell me that my son has stirred up my own servant to wait in ambush for me, as is the case today. Here's the interesting thing and the sad thing. Saul is king. Like Saul has absolute control over the lives of those around him. But he was totally controlled by his own fears. In that war in us between faith and fear, Saul moved as his life went on. He moved further and further toward fear. And David moved further and further toward faith. And Saul now is so controlled by his own fears that he does not trust in the Lord. And now he doesn't trust in anyone else around him either. This is Saul trying to rule without the help of the Holy Spirit. And his jealousy has distorted his vision. He has become paranoid. He has become self-focused. The world revolves around him and he uses guilt and accusation to motivate his followers. Saul could not accept the truth that David and Jonathan were in the right and that he was in the wrong. And so instead, Saul constructs this elaborate conspiracy theory. He still believes that the Lord is on his side instead of seriously considering that maybe he's not on the Lord's side. And I wonder at times, do we not do the same? We would, at times, we would rather invent elaborate reasons why somebody else is at fault rather than just admit we're in the wrong. And now Doeg comes back into the story, verses 9 and 10. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was in charge of Saul's servants, answered, I saw Jesse's son come to Ahimelech, son of Adahab, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions. He also gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Let's be clear here. Doeg is not a patriot. Doeg is an opportunist. He's an ambitious man. He wants to advance his own standing with Saul because he thinks it will give him status and power in the kingdom. And so when all the Benjamites stay silent, Doeg speaks up and tells the king what he saw in Nob. And although Doeg's words are accurate, he left an inaccurate impression because he didn't tell the whole truth. He didn't mention the concern that Ahimelech had. He didn't mention the fact that David had lied to Ahimelech to get those provisions. Instead, he implicated Ahimelech and David together as accomplices. Look at all the help that Ahimelech is giving David. Surely they're working together against you, Saul. And sometimes, again, I'm just going to ask a question. There might be times where where when we're telling the story of something, we might twist the words to give the listener an inaccurate impression of what really happened. There's another 
word for that. It's called lying. Verses 11 to 15. The king sent messengers to summon the priests Ahimelech, son of Atahab, uh, and his father's whole family, who were priests in Nob. All of them came to the king. Then Saul said, listen, son of Atahab. I'm at your service, my lord, he said. Saul asked him, why did you and Jesse's son conspire against me? You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so he could rise up against me and wait in ambush, as is the case today. Ahimelech replied to the king, who among all of your servants is as faithful as David? He is the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and honored in your house. Was today the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Please, don't let the king make an accusation against your servant or any of my father's family, for your servant didn't have any idea about all of this. And so Ahimelech comes to Saul with honesty and with a clear conscience. When he's confronted, he doesn't deny his actions, but he does deny the motives that Saul attaches to his actions. He says, I'm not conspiring against the king. I honestly thought David was on a mission from the king. Ahimelech told the exact truth. When David came to Ahimelech, The priest questioned him carefully. Why are you alone? Why is there no one with you? And it was David who lied. And this lie now brings tragic consequences. Saul, because he is so much going into paranoia and fear, he assumes the worst. He accuses Ahimelech and David of conspiracy against him. He thought David was out to kill him. Saul thought of himself as the victim. Do you ever do that? I do that sometimes. In some kind of interaction, it's me who's the victim. Not that person. And Saul believed that David and Ahimelech were out to get him. So listen to what happens. Starting in verse 16, the king said, you will die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards standing by him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they sided with David. For they knew he was fleeing, but they didn't tell me. But the king's servants would not lift a hand to execute the priests of the Lord. So the king said to Doeg, go and execute the priests. So Doeg the Edomite went and executed the priests himself. On that day, he killed 85 men who wore linen ephods. He also struck down Nob, the city of priests, with the sword. Both men and women and infants and nursing babies and oxen and donkeys, and sheep. He killed every living thing in this city. Evil hates to be confronted by goodness. And a man in a place of sin and rebellion like Saul, he could not stand to see an innocent and guileless man like Ahimelech disagree with him. And so he commanded him to be murdered. Now, 
You and I, we can justly condemn Saul for this. Obviously. But let's also reflect for the moment on ourselves. And maybe the times that we have gossiped or torn down a good person's reputation or murdered a person's reputation because we were jealous or because we made false assumptions or simply we are unable to be confronted by their goodness. Now that said, I mean, Saul, obviously, clearly going off the deep end. Verse 16, death to Ahimelech and his family. Verse 19, death to every living thing in Nob. Saul is destroying his own kingdom. Many commentators agree that this act was the worst act that Saul ever did. I mean, he did a lot of bad stuff, but this is probably the worst, the lowest of the lows. However, to their credit, Saul's servants feared God more than Saul, and they refused to murder the priests. And so Saul turns to Doeg. Doeg didn't hesitate to murder the priests and their families. Once again, instead of exercising any kind of discernment, Doeg blindly listens to Saul Doeg is so driven by this desire for self-promotion, for adulation before King Saul, that he would do whatever he had to do to secure it for himself. But one of Ahimelech's sons escapes and flees to David and tells David what happens. Verses 22 and 23. Then David said to Abathar, I knew that Doeg the Edomite was there the day that day and that he was sure to report to Saul. I myself am responsible for the lives of everyone in your father's family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. For the one who wants to take my life wants to take your life. You will be safe with me. Here's the thing. David shows how he felt about this whole incident in Psalm 52. He wrote a poem about this. We're not going to read it, but I would encourage you this week, read Psalm 52. The title of that psalm is a psalm of David when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul and said to him, David has gone to see Ahimelech. That's a really long title, but that's what it's called, Psalm 52. And if you were to read through that psalm, if we were to do it right now, we would see a healthy dose of moral outrage. We would see also see this confidence in God's justice. It is a powerful psalm. But it closes with this line. I am like an olive tree, thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. What does he say here uh, near the end of his life in 2 Samuel 22? We said, I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise. He saved me from my enemies. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. This poem, Psalm 52, and the psalm of praise at the end of David's life clearly are written after some reflection and in the case of Psalm 52, some repentance as well. Because in the story that we just heard, His actions do not show a trust in the Lord. But at the end of his life, and in Psalm 52, he says, I will always trust in the Lord. 
But here in the story, he says, I've caused the death of your father's house. I mean, in one sense, just David showing up there with Ahimelech made Ahimelech guilty before Saul. There really wasn't anything David could have done about that. But also, David's lying to Ahimelech made the priests very vulnerable before Saul. David's lies maybe did not directly kill Ahimelech and the other priests, but his actions certainly contribute to the horrific tragedy of that day. Now we know from the story in 1 Samuel, we know from the song of praise in 2 Samuel chapter 22, we know from the many, many psalms that David wrote that he turned his heart back to the Lord and he was restored. But there was some bad fruit to come from his lies. And David now sees it and he tastes that bad fruit. I wish we could understand this as followers of Jesus, that that God's forgiveness, it, it erases all of the guilt of our bad actions, but it doesn't erase the consequences. So take care what you say and what you do, because what we say and do has consequences on other people. And although we can be forgiven, and if we turn to God, we will be forgiven of all those bad choices, all those bad, bad actions, sometimes ourselves or other people still need to live with the consequences. And in this story, those four characters, David, Doeg, Ahimelech, Saul, we, we all have a little bit of those characters in us. We all like to think, I look like King David, but we never stop to ask, do I also look like Doeg? And so we're going to end simply by reflecting on those four characters with these questions. Let me ask you this, church, or maybe you can ask yourself, am I like David in this story? Am I like David? Right? David in this story is a mixture of faith and fear. For sure, he wants to please the Lord. He goes to seek God's help in times of trouble, but he's also willing to deceive other people to get what he wants. I mean, he wants God's help, but he does not fully trust him enough to stop David from taking matters into his own hands to get what he wants. And so if that is you today, We're here and say, yes, I have a little bit of faith and fear within me. The lesson we can learn from David in this story is everything we do, whether it is guided by faith or fear, will affect the lives of other people for good or for bad. Because our actions can set into motion events that we might be helpless to change. Not everything David did was good. He deceived Ahimelech, and it cost Ahimelech his life. So ask yourself, am I guided by faith or by fear? Next character, am I like Doeg? So David is called a man after God's own heart. We could call Doeg a man after Saul's heart. 
He lied. He told half-truths. He deceived to get what he wanted. He had more regard for building his own personal kingdom than anything else. And he's willing to pay the price or have someone else pay the price to gain power and influence. He had no moral code that we know of. Sometimes we too want power. Sometimes we are ambitious for recognition in our workplace, amongst our friends. Now, we may find ourselves in circumstances that are vastly different from those in which Doeg found himself, but we have to recognize in ourselves that we have the propensity to be just like Doeg and seek first our own kingdom. And so if you can recognize that in yourself, like, yes, there is a little bit of Doeg in me. I do want to seek first my kingdom at times. Here's the lesson that we can learn. If we are driven by a desire for self-promotion, if we are driven by a desire for power, we will likely listen to and accommodate whoever we believe can give us that advancement and that power. We may have no qualms about lying or about cheating on our taxes or about murdering someone's reputation in order to gain what we want. So here's a hard question to ask yourself. What price are you willing to pay to build your own kingdom? What would you do? How far would you go? Because there is a little bit of doeg in us. Third character, Ahimelech. Am I like Ahimelech? Now, Ahimelech, he was a trusting person. He understood the heart and the intent of God, like with the holy bread. He did the right thing. He's the one that told the truth when everyone else was lying. And so, yes, there is some of Ahimelech. Like in this story, Ahimelech is the righteous character, not David. Ahimelech's a righteous character. And there is some of that righteousness in us as well. Of course there is. And so, yes, at times, if we're ready to, to tell the truth when other people are lying, if that's you, if there's a little bit of that in you, then, then here's a lesson that we can learn from Ahimelech. It's a hard lesson. There is only one person who acts uprightly through the entire story, Ahimelech, and he's the only one that dies. Sometimes, having good character comes at a high price. And so the question for us is, are you ready to pay the cost of good character? Because it will come at times with a cost. And then lastly, am I like Saul? Who's Saul? Angry, fearful, jealous, protective of his personal kingdom, assuming the worst in others, distrusting others. And if that is us, if there is a reflection of that in our own life, here is the lesson we can learn from Saul. Our suspicion of, our assumptions toward other people, guess what? They are often a better reflection of our own character, not theirs. For example, a person who frequently lies 
is more likely to assume other people are lying to them. And so sometimes when we make assumptions about other people's motives, those assumptions reveal more about our own character than their character. So the question coming from Saul to us is, what do your assumptions reveal about you? So, who are you like in this story? In order to live for the glory of Jesus alone, we not only have to seek the Lord, but we have to seek the character of the Lord in our life. Because we are all going to have troubles. We are all going to have stresses in life. And like I said, the test of faith is not whether we have troubles or not, because we are going to have troubles. The test of faith is what will we do with our troubles. And so maybe you can close with this question. The next time you are in your valley, the next time you are in your troubles, what character or what characteristic will shine through you? And will it bring glory to Jesus Christ? Jumping back now, 2 Samuel 22. I'm going to read those three verses again, and then one more. Starting in verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. Then jumping down to verse 17, because those are great. I mean, again, that's what we want to emulate in our life. Verse 17, he reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. Sometimes, when God reaches down and rescues us, he's actually rescuing us from ourselves. Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. That is why we always have to have that introspection, looking at ourselves, saying, where am I in this story? Where am I in the life of David? Am I the man of faith at the end of his life? Am I the man struggling with faith in the middle of his life in his times of trouble? And it is okay no matter where you are. As long as we are seeking more. As long as we are seeking God. As long as we are seeking to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. If that is your heart, if you want to live your life for the glory of Jesus Christ, God will take care of the rest. Even with our mistakes, just like in this story. David made some terrible mistakes and they came at a terrible high cost. But by the end of his life, he was a man after God's heart and he had songs of praise for God. So there is hope for all of us, no matter what our starting place is. In fact, the important part is not where we're starting from, but what direction we're going in. Are you moving toward faith? Are you moving toward living for the glory of Jesus Christ? I'm going to invite Pastor JB to come up.
and lead us in some prayer. You know, in David's time of distress, David went to the house of God and the priest, his name is Ahimelech, he gives him two things. What does he give him? He gives him bread and he gives him a sword. And I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, bread and a sword, those are two pictures for the word of God. Jesus says, people will not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes to the mouth of God. In other words, God's word is food for our soul in a way that nothing else can satisfy. And so if you're going through a troubled time right now, the best thing you can do is get into the word of God. The second thing is a sword, is that in the book of Ephesians, the New Testament, you know, the word of God is described as a sword, the sword of the spirit, such that when you're going through a distressing time, what you need more than anything is the word of God, which like a sword helps you cut through lies that the enemy would otherwise want you to believe so that you can stand in faith, keep doing the right thing and go in the direction that God wants you to go in. If you believe that, say amen. And it's with that in mind that, you know, speaking of the word of God, the word of God is another name for Jesus. And in fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, I just want to show you a verse from John chapter 1 really quick. And it says this. Would you read it with me? What does it say? It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, The Word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. What an awesome Christmas verse. It says, We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, because John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote these words, which we're reading 2,000 years later. We are impacted because of that. In the same way, if you've experienced God's goodness, God's glory in the form of Jesus Christ, then guess what? We have a calling, we have a responsibility, we have a joy, we have a privilege, which is to tell others about the difference that Jesus makes. Amen? And we have an opportunity to do that this coming Christmas, these next couple weeks as we get ready for Christmas services. You have your invitations in hand on your chairs. You can invite people. And this is a simple way to tell people, to testify to people about the difference that Jesus makes. So let's make the most of that opportunity. And you know, as a way to kind of remind us and encourage us in our calling to live out loud and to lead others to Jesus. I want to share a song with all of you with the help of the band right now. And uh, this song, we haven't practiced it much, and so you have to maybe bear with us, uh, but we're just going to do our best to share the song with all of you. And uh, why don't we all stand as we sing this song together. This song is called, I Will Live to Testify. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Praise God. from my sin How great the love of God Who dove into the dark and found a way to me No what can I give Lord to repay you to thank you Each moment I live will be my offering. 
You know, Ahimelech, the priest, he does something really important in the story. He's, he tells the truth. And he doesn't do anything wrong in the situation. He just tells the truth. But he ends up dying for the mistakes that David made. In the same way, I'm here to let you know that thousands of years later, another priest who was even more blameless than Ahimelech would tell the truth. And he would die for the sins of other people. His name is Jesus. He would die for your sins. He would die for my sins. And to show that nice guys don't always finish last. To show that sometimes the last will be first. To show that Jesus is no ordinary human being, but he is who he claimed to be. He is the son of God. Not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but he rose again from death. To show that when you place your trust in Jesus, your sins really can be forgiven. That when you place your trust in Jesus, you have a hope that is stronger than death. If you believe that, would you give Jesus some praise in this place together right now? Praise God. And if you realize today that you need forgiveness for sin today, something you said last night, something you did this morning, if you realize that you need forgiveness for sin and you realize that you're a sinner who needs a savior, then I want to give you an opportunity today to pray a prayer, not to talk to God about how good you are, but about how much we need him. And if that's you, you realize that you need that with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want you to respond to God right now. If you realize that you need Jesus in your life, you need his forgiveness to cover your sins. You want to ask him to do that today. Why don't you just lift your hand to God right now. Let the height of your hand reflect how much you need him. Let the height of your hand reflect your honesty. Those of you online, you can do one more thing. Why don't you click the link in your chat room. Those of you who have your hands raised here on site. One of our team members will give you a little card with a prayer on it. And together we're just going to pray this prayer as a way to ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. And so keep your hands raised. Receive that card. You know, click that link online. And this is our simple way of asking Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins. Why don't you pray this prayer with me right now. In fact, let's all pray it in support of those praying it for the very first time. Let's say this right now. We're going to say, Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You have a relationship with God, not based on how good you are, but based on who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for you and for me. And a big congratulations to you. If that's you, you prayed that prayer. We encourage you to take that next step, which is the Bible says, believe and be baptized. And so with that in mind, we encourage you to get baptized. It's a simple way to say, I believe in Jesus. You don't have to have gone to church all your life. You don't have to have read the Bible backwards and forwards. All you have to know is Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that. I receive that. If that's you, you're ready to get baptized. Go to mythrive.info, press the baptism button. We'd love to help you with that. Can we give all of our friends who prayed that prayer just today on site? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy, and it's so great to be here with you guys today. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. 
If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So please text NEW to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you're on site at Lee Pond Place, you can pick one up by the Welcome Center by the exit door after service. December is here and that means Christmas is just around the corner. We want to invite you to Christmas at Thrive happening on Christmas Day, Sunday, December 25th at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m. and 12 p.m. There will be beautiful music, an inspiring message, and a fun Santa's workshop for the kids. Yes, you heard me right. If you have kids ages 3 to 9, our amazing team at Thrive Kids prepared a super duper fun in-person Santa's workshop that's happening during the 9 a.m. and the 10.30 a.m. service. I'm sure this Christmas is the best opportunity for you to invite your friends and family to experience the joy and hope we have in Jesus during the Christmas season. For more information, visit thrivechurch.ca slash Christmas. Other than the Christmas services at Thrive, we also have a Christmas event for young families called Jingle and Mingle, happening at Kidstropolis on Friday, December 23rd from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. This is a perfect opportunity for you to connect with other young families and for you as parents to take a short break while your kids are having fun exploring all that Kidstropolis has to offer. To sign up, visit mythrive.info. Last but not least, if you haven't already, I want to invite you to be a part of the Thrive community by joining a small group or serving team. To sign up, visit mythrive.info. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. Have an amazing Sunday afternoon. Stay warm and I will see you all next week online or on site at Leaf Home Place. Bye!